Say we are continuing our reading this morning um, and our series through James. And we're starting in James 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made then distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And they are not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in the one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. I'll put this down. Good to be with you this morning uh, as we're opening up God's Word again in James. Can I begin this morning by telling you a little story about the night that we attained the use, let's just say, of the market house in the square. For some of you who have been here for a shorter time than others, you'll not remember the fact that we used to meet, used to gather in the market house which is in the main square, uh, the main square, as if there are more than one, <laughs> the, the square in Rathfriland. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story that will reveal probably more of my sinful heart than it will of anything else, and it's this. Uh, we somehow managed to get in contact with the guy that owned the, the market house at the time. And we thought that we could get a meeting with him just to see really basically if it was going to be any use to us at all if we could use it for, for gathering in. And so we managed, to get a, we managed to get a meeting with him and uh, I found out a little bit about the guy that owned the market house at the time. And so I knew who he was, uh, I knew a little bit about him and let's just say I, I came to my knowledge that, that he had a pound or two, let's just put it like that, right? So we went to the meeting that night uh, about uh, getting the use of the market house. And I can remember it as well as, I, I'm, I'm standing here now, I can vividly remember where I parked 
And here's a little bit of education on a friend for you, if you don't know. Uh, I parked on the low side of the square, all right? On the low side of the square, for all of you who don't know, who are not from the town, uh, the low side of the square is on the side of the chip shop cafe, all right? That's the low side of the square. So, education Sundays with John. Uh, that's, so I parked over there, and I can remember sitting thinking, right, okay, this guy, what am I waiting on? I'm waiting on uh, either somebody turning up in a Merc or a BM or big fancy whatever. Because I know he's got a pound or two, and I know that's what he's going to be driving. He's going to be driving something expensive, right? So sat there, sat there, and I can remember the time of the meeting. This, I can literally remember the meeting was half six. And I can remember sitting there, half six came along, nothing. Couldn't see anything, no fancy cars about, didn't know what was going on. The other guys had arrived at this stage, and I'm sitting this, this boy's not, he's not coming. He's backed out. He's realized what he's dealing with here, and he's, he's backed out. So uh, time went on and time went on. The guy that owned the market house then proceeded to jump out of what was one of the very first Ford Focuses. Like, I mean, not the new ones, not the fancy round-shaped ones. One of the ones was square back. Do you remember them? Uh, and it was racked. I mean, racked. This thing was like, and just completely caught me off guard. Didn't see it coming. Thought this guy was going to turn up as, say, an Merc or a BM or something fancy. And there he jumps out of this racked Ford Focus. We proceeded to have the meeting, walked around the, the market house for a while, uh, and then he literally turned to us and says, do you think he can do anything with it? And we were like, yep, I think we can. I got an email, I think two days later, to say that, what's wrong with me? <laughs> to say that we were gonna, he was gonna give us the use of the market house, uh, and the rent for the year was gonna be one pound. But, Doing that there is no good to me. I don't know what that means. I'm only... <laughs> That's it now. Uh, one pound for the year. One pound for the year. But here's the thing. I completely misread that situation. Completely. I was looking for something that wasn't real. And that's the point of James chapter 1. At the end of James chapter 1 and the, and the beginning of James chapter 2 is this. Looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. That's the point that James wants to make to us here. James' major concern in this portion of Scripture is we can look religious. We can look like we've got it all together. We can look Christian, but we fail the test of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that's terrifying for me. That is actually terrifying for me. And James is not saying anything that we don't know that Jesus has already said. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will come to me in that day and say, Did we not do many, many works in your name? And he will say, Away from me, you evildoers, for I did not know you. That's a terrifying thought that we can look religious and not know Jesus. And James is just backing that up. And the good news for us this morning is that James is telling us, lose that outward display of religion and find the gospel. Lose that outward display of just looking the part, knowing what to say, turning up at the right things, lose that nonsense and find the gospel. 
That's what he's saying. And I'm sure, I don't know about you, but that is the most freeing message we can find and the most freeing message we can hear this morning. So first, look at verse 26 of chapter 1 with me. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And James, again, is just backing up something that he's already said to us. Do you remember when he said, be slow to speak? So James is going to talk to us about speech. It's going to be one of the major themes in his book. And what he's saying to us here is this, this, this may be the greatest, most primary characteristic of someone who follows Jesus. Their speech To the contrary, he's saying false religion produces nothing. And he's saying how you'll recognize false religion is in the way that people speak. And it shows up particularly in unbridled speech. What James wants to do is set the stage for the rest of the book And what he wants to do is remind us constantly of the speech that he heard consistently through the life of Jesus. Think of who's writing this. This is Jesus' brother. He spent his whole life listening to Jesus talk. If anyone is going to know what it means to be like Christ, if anyone is going to know what it is to be a true follower of Christ, it's James. He spent probably the most time with Jesus and he heard him speak. And his conclusion from his life with Jesus and hearing Jesus speak, James's conclusion is this is the way that you will know if you are a true follower of Christ. It is by the way that we speak. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? This one that knew Jesus the most, spent the most time with Jesus probably, will say, do you know how you you see false religion? It's the way people speak. Do you know how you know true religion? It's the way people speak. It's a mark. It's one of the marks of true religion. Now, if James wants our speech to be Christ-like, just as he heard Jesus speak, knew what Jesus was like, If James wants our our speech to be Christ-like, how do you think we get to know how Jesus speaks today? For you and I, how do we know this? This is where we hear Jesus speak. Every time we open up the Word of God, Jesus speaks. So that's why we're we're passionate about the preaching of, of God's Word in Cornerstone. We, we believe that in the preaching of God's Word, like I said not last week, in, not in the delivery of it, but in the actual preaching of the Word, is when Jesus speaks. When you open up the Bible at home, when you do your own devotional life, Jesus speaks. And it's through that speaking that He conforms us. Part of, part of the means in which He conforms us into His own likeness is through Him speaking to us and us listening and us replicating that speech. That's what he wants us to pay attention to here. We believe that the word of God gives life, changes us. Jesus speaks to us and therefore we speak like Jesus. James says, look at how you speak. 
Watch how you speak. A mark of someone who is growing in gospel wisdom, growing in gospel grace, is how they speak. How they use their tongue wisely. And there's something really important I need to say about this. Because what some will think when I say it's about how we use our speech and how we speak, what some will think is then, oh, you just need to say the right thing. As long as you say the right thing, then everything will be okay. That is not what James is saying here. That is not what James is saying. No, because here's the truth. You can say the right thing the wrong way. You can say the right thing the wrong way. And James is interested in that too. He's not just interested in content, but he's actually interested in the way that we communicate, in the Christ-like manner in which we communicate. We all know the reality that I can say the same thing to you two different ways. Right? Let me demonstrate. I can say the exact same thing to you, and it'll come across in two different ways. Let me, let me demonstrate. I love I absolutely love the fact. Oh, it's just, I love it. I love the fact that Liverpool won the FA Cup yesterday. Right. Now, if you, if you know me at all, you will know that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Right? Let me say it in a different way. I'll say the exact same thing. I'll just say it in a different way. I love the fact that Liverpool won the FA Cup yesterday. Same thing, different way. It's not just about the content. You can say the right thing the wrong way. I can say the right thing the wrong way. James wants us to watch our speech. James wants us to control our speech and our speech become Christ-like. And it's not just about the content. Because saying the right thing the wrong way is just, again, an outward show. The very thing that he's warning us against. The very thing that he's warning us against. An outward show. He says... If, you can't, if, you're, if you're not bridling your tongue, your religion is worthless. And then he flips it. Uh, James here is using the word religion. And most of the time in the New Testament, the majority of the time in the New Testament, when the word, the word religion is used, it's used in a derogatory sense, as in a bad thing. But not James is, James is going to flip that here, and he's going to use it, and he's going he's to use it to his advantage. He's saying... This is what worthless religion looks like. It looks like outward show. It looks like unbridled speech. It looks like, it looks like this. But then he's going to say, true religion, what God accepts is this. And he shows us, what it is. shows us what it is. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James has shown us the powerlessness of false religion, it does nothing, it does not change us, it has no power. 
But then he wants to show us what, 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 what happens in the heart of someone who gets the gospel. You want the measure of, of, of the heart of someone who actually gets the gospel, James is going to tell us. James is saying, this is what it looks like. This is what the gospel is like. It has a social impact. The heart of the gospel, if someone who grabs the heart of the gospel and it, 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 it penetrates their heart, it has a social impact. God gives us, throughout all of Scripture, these social the warnings for us as followers of Christ. He gives us warnings of what to do and what not to do, but He shows us His heart for social causes. Let, let, me, let, me, let me give you a warning He gives us in Proverbs 21, verse 13. If any man closes his ears to the cry of the poor, God will not hear his cry. Let me put that in stark language for us so that we understand. If we do not provide for the poor, God will not hear our prayer. We can have all the prayer gatherings we want. We can pray fervently. Pray fervently. If we are not providing for the poor and looking after the powerless, God will not hear us. Why orphans and widows? They are the most vulnerable in society. Widows and children are the most vulnerable, the poorest and the most powerless in society. And James is saying, when you get the gospel, if you get the gospel, these are the people you look after. They're the ones. And here's the thing, folks. This concept should be relatively easy for us as followers of Jesus to understand. The concept of looking after the poor and the powerless should be relatively easy for us to understand. Think about it. When you pass someone on the street, Maybe they're homeless and, and they're poor, or they don't have very much, and they're dressed in whatever way they're dressed in. When you pass by, it doesn't matter if you're dressed in Armani and you've got your Gucci bag or whatever it may be. None of that matters. Because when you see that poor person, you're looking in a mirror. I'm looking in a mirror because it's me. Why is it me? The, that's the way the Bible describes us. The Bible describes us, no matter what our outward appearance is, the, the Bible describes us as poor and destitute and needy people. And so the last thing we should think when we see someone who's poor materially, the last impulse that should come into a follower of Jesus' mind is to despise that person. Because it's us. That's how the Bible describes us. But to bring it home a wee bit, a wee bit further even, think about Jesus. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, says this, Remember Jesus, who though he was rich, for our sake became poor. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. 
Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever actually thought about the Savior that we follow and who he is? He was a poor man. He said this, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. The, the Savior that you and I follow was a crucified, resurrected, homeless in, in, uh, preacher. He, I can't say it more plainly than that. He wasn't some conquering hero who had a load of land like the Roman Empire or, 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 or got a, a massive inheritance you know, and, and lived off it. No, no, no. The, our Jesus was a poor man who had nowhere to live. So when we think of the poor and the powerless, we should think that's us. That's us. And it's a good reminder, folks, because we are so easily, so easily infatuated with the riches of this world. I'm so easily infatuated with the riches of this world that we miss the fact that Jesus left behind the glory of heaven to come to make himself poor for us. How will that have an impact on the way that we live our lives as followers of Jesus? And even as we live it out together as the church. It has a social impact. Those who get the gospel, James tells us, it has a social impact. But it also there at the very end of that has a personal impact. Not only does it have a social impact, but it has a personal impact. And it says this, look after orphans, widows, and keep yourself unstained from the word. Keep yourself unstained from the word. And I love this because the Bible is always, it's both. It's never this or this, it's both. If you're familiar with, with any social media stuff over the last couple of years, and it, uh, amongst Christendom, Christendom all over the world, there's this debate about whether the gospel's a social thing or it's a doctrinal thing. It's either or. And, and, and the Bible always just says it's both. It's both. It has a social impact, and yes, it has an individual impact. It's not either or. You know, some people say, oh, well, you have doctrine and I have practice. Or I have practice and you have doctrine. And, and the Bible goes, no, 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 no. You have to have both. You have to have both. And what James is saying here when he says to keep yourself, oneself, unstained from the world, what he's not saying is that you take yourself off and you find a mountain and you go and live there and you never communicate with anybody else. And, you, and I said in the first service, and I know it's the dream for a lot of us, uh, but, but it's not the way that we're supposed to live. We are supposed to be in this world, but not of it. We are to keep ourselves unstained from the world's, the world's ideologies. This is, what, this is what this means. We're supposed to have a, a, a Jesus-centered worldview in the, middle, in the midst of a world that holds up materialism and secularism and all these other things as the way to go. We're supposed to live in the middle of that and hold a Jesus-centered worldview. That's what it means. So don't be taking yourself away off somewhere and hiding. That's not what it's meant. That's not what he means. 
So it has a social impact and it has an individual, personal impact. And then he moves into, well, he doesn't move into chapter 2, as we know that these chapter placements are, are placed hereafter. But look at the flow. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't play favorites. Don't show partiality. And folks, the reality of this today is that this is going to make us uncomfortable. Why? Because we have a natural bent towards favorites. Some of you are in here as parents and you have favorite children. Don't deny it. Don't deny it. We don't have Anna. Sure we don't? Anna. Anna is not our favorite. No. Uh, no, we, we mess about. She always tells us she's a, she's a favorite, but yeah. It's only, it's only messing about. We don't have favorites. Uh, James is going to tell us Christianity and having favorites are incompatible. It just doesn't work. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's saying that the Christian faith is utterly incompatible with having favoritism and showing shallow prejudice. Right, let's dig into this for a moment because I need to say first what it doesn't mean and then I'm going to say what it does mean. Let's start off with what it doesn't mean, what James doesn't mean. James doesn't mean by showing partiality that we don't make appropriate distinctions. There are things... That are, that are right distinctions that are right and proper. Let me give you an example. For example, if we're in here on a Sunday morning and the welcome team, someone comes up to the welcome team, a visitor comes up to the welcome team and they're quite elderly and they're on crutches and, and they're not that mobile, is it, would it be wrong for the welcome team to bring them in, show them love, bring them in through the doors and place them somewhere that is suitable for them? Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. It's an act of love, actually. What about the, the young, strapping 18-year-old uh, who comes in through the door and the welcome team do what the welcome team normally do and just point them in the right direction and they can find their own seats? Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's not. But there's a distinction that has been made, but it's right and proper. So when James is saying... Don't show no partiality. He's not saying don't show appropriate distinction. He's also not saying that we shouldn't show due deference for those God has placed in leadership over us. Really important point. We are supposed to, as followers of Christ, show deference to those who God has put in authority over us in the world and in the church. In the world and in the church. So I was thinking on my feet in the first service, and I said, for example, right? For example, the first minister, when they get themselves sorted out in the year 2053, whatever it may be, 
once they and say first minister shows up at Cornerstone, would it be wrong for us to show them due deference and bring them in and place them wherever we place them? No, it wouldn't be. Because God has in his sovereignty, the Bible tells us, put them in authority over us and we must show them respect. It's not wrong to do that. Because what, what we do sometimes, we're like, oh, we're not showing partiality to anybody. And oh, no, we'll just treat everybody the same. That's radical egalitarianism and it's wrong. God does not want that of us. There are appropriate distinctions to be made and there is due deference to, the, to those who God has put in authority over us in the world and in the church. It's, James is not saying, don't do that. What is James saying then? Really important. What James is saying is this. When he means partiality, he means this. He means a self-serving discrimination that is based upon shallow externals. Let me say that again. A self-serving discrimination that is based upon shallow externals. And how he plays this out is the example that he gives here. Let's read it just again. And he uses the example of the gathering. This. Now, are you telling me that James hasn't got word that there's actually a church somewhere that is doing the very thing that he's writing to prohibit them against? No, he's not. He's heard that it's happening. He's heard that this very thing is going on in some of the churches that he's writing to. And he writes to correct that thinking. And listen to what he says. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in also, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So he plays this out in a real-life example. And the motive behind the, the example here, it's like this, right? The rich man comes in. Somebody sees him. Somebody goes, oh, rich man, how can they benefit me? How can this rich person benefit me or benefit us? We'll have to look after them. James says, flat out, that is wrong. wrong. The, the sinful demonstration of partiality towards the rich person comes from the motive of how can this person benefit me? What do I gain from showing them partiality? The other extreme is Jesus' example of how we could sinfully discriminate against the poor man. Is The motive is, well, they have nothing to offer me, so I won't give them my time nor my attention. Jesus says, after all, it's sinful. Sam Albury says this. What this kind of favoritism does is say that someone who is of more worth to the world is of more worth to the church. And someone who is of less worth to the world is of less worth to the church. How sinful is that? I want to add to this 
slightly and say that it's not only on a material basis that we can make these distinctions on this partiality. Because here's the truth. In the context of our culture, some of us are wild impressed with intellect. Some of us are seriously impressed and enamored with how people articulate themselves. And on the basis of that, we will show partiality. James says, it's all wrong. It doesn't matter on what basis we show the partiality or the favoritism, it's wrong. It's wrong. See, this is how the world works. But the church should be different. We show this petty sort of favoritism when we allow those kinds of mere externals to dictate our mistreatment of some and our flattery of others. James goes on to show us here, you're missing the point. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom and you're missing the point. Notice that these people are strangers to this gathering. So we're not told whether they're believers or unbelievers. We're not told who they are or what they are. But we are told that they're strangers because they don't know where to sit. And so James is concerned with how we treat everyone. Not just in the church but everyone. Believers, unbelievers. He wants us to know that, that, that how we don't show partiality to anyone displays our Christianity. He goes on then in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What he's doing here is saying that you might be doing well in one area. You might think you'd be nailing it in one area, but you have this massive big blind spot over here. And so the church here, obviously, was concerned with, like, he's writing to people here who are concerned with the Bible. They know the Bible. They would know the law. They would know what Jesus commanded. They would know the Old Testament. He's writing to people who are concerned with the Bible, know the Bible. And so he's probably saying to them, listen, you've, you're, you've got this part down. You've, you're concerned with the Bible and, and doctrine and all those things are good. But you're missing this big, massive area over here where you're, you have no concern for the poor and you're actually discriminating against them. And that's a snapshot of every single one of us. That's a snapshot of every single one of us because we all think we're nailing it in one area and there's a big massive thing going on here that we don't see. We all have blind spots. All of us. That's why we need the church. We need the Spirit to show us that we're not just nailing it in area, area B and leaving this massive thing over here unlooked un, un, uh, at. 
He says here, you can refrain from sexual immorality and commit murder and be a lawbreaker. That's it. You might be doing well in one area, but you have blind spots and you just don't see them. This morning, just as we wrap this up, I want to ask us a few, well, one honest question. More maybe, I'll put it like this. What I would like us to do as individuals is just pray and ask the Spirit to show you. One, are you guilty of showing partiality? Favoritism based on petty externals. Are you guilty of that? Just, just pray, ask the Spirit to show you. And here's the thing, that's individually. But as a body, as Cornerstone Church, we need to be unbelievably aware that this can, ha- this, this can happen and may well be happening and we just don't see it. Cornerstone, let, let, me, let me say this, Cornerstone Church, every church for that matter, should be a place. Should, I say should. I don't say we are. I say we should be a place where no one feels that they're being either discriminated against or that it's a place where partiality is shown. It shouldn't be like this. I say should because every church, every church is full of broken, sinful people. But let's pray about this, think about it, and do our utmost to make sure it doesn't happen. It's like when, when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about communion, and he's, and he's saying about, you know, one goes ahead and gets drunk and the other one goes ahead and eats too much, and that's basically what he's saying. Uh, and he says, these things ought not to be so. I'm thankful that Paul wrote letters, had to write letters to the early church, and Paul would still have to write letters to us and say these things ought not to be so. Keep your eye on them. Watch for them. Make sure they don't happen. But the final thing I want to draw our attention to this morning is this. I want to bring us back to the reality of our stance before God and the starkness of the change that there has been. Because the Bible tells us, before Christ, we were what? We were wretched, we were naked, we were pitiful, we were blind, we were poor, and we were orphans. And what? We're not now. We are rich in Christ. We have an inheritance in glory. We are part of the family of God with a Father who loves us and cares for us and who has sent his Son to save us. Amen? That's who we are. And so live out of that. Praise Jesus for the fact that it's the case. And glorify him in all things. Amen? Let me pray for us.
Father, we are just thankful for your word that is a lamp onto our feet. You continually use it through the Spirit to confront us. And that's what you do. You confront us with our own sin. And you show us your grace, which is abundant. So, Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would take our hearts, that you would come and move amongst us and, and show us what we need to see. Show us if we've been showing partiality. Show us if we've been uh, showing favoritism based on, on petty externals. And lead us in repentance. And lead us in faith to Christ, who is faithful and just and who will forgive us and who will lead us on. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.